0: Alright right, guys, welcome back to the study of Leviticus. Yes, here we are plowing through Leviticus 21, 1 through 24. And you're like, okay, how much longer do we have to keep plowing through this? You know, I'll just tell you every time, though, when it's all said and done, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. okay, I get the whole like there's punishment if you don't do things. But praise the Lord, Jesus now takes our punishment. It's like all of these things in the Old Testament, they continually point to the Messiah. But here's what I I love about this is that in Leviticus 21, what you're going to see is is that most commentators will tell you, like, we are now going to start seeing like an instruction manual for the priests. Hey, guys, now we've given your clothes. Now we've given you, yeah, some specific assignments in Leviticus 10. And we've anointed you. We've ordained you. But there's still a lot more. Like, hey, what happens if a priest wants to get married? Now what do you do? Like all of these everyday life stuff, Can they or can they not get married? All this, what does this look like? And so I'm going to give you a manual. And in fact, MacArthur says the laws for the priests are now given and they're actually going to be told you have a higher standard of holy conduct that you need to live to. And so what we're going to do is we're going to elevate in this context high priests okay, and priests and what they are expected of in order to see uh, forgiveness happen and come about, not only in their lives, but also in all of the Israelites. There's a lot here, but I'm going to tell you right now, just so we're all on the same page, priests are not perfect. They're not perfect. We know what they've been asked to do. We know that they've been led, called to do this. But in Hosea 4, 8 and 9, eventually, at one point, a minor prophet wrote, but they still messed up. So it says in Hosea 4, verse 8, they fed on the sin of my people. It's interesting. They have an appetite for their transgressions. And then in verse 9, The same judgment will happen to both people and priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. So if you already know that in the minor prophet, in his wording that the priests sin, this is going to be frustrating. Because no matter how hard we try in Leviticus 21 to get these priests to be perfect, they're always going to fall short. But until then, let's walk through this in verse 1 of Leviticus 21. It says, The Lord said to Moses, I want you to speak to Aaron's sons, the priests, and tell them, A priest is not to make himself ceremonially unclean for a dead person among the relatives, except for his immediate family, his mother, father, son, daughter, or brother. Sounds kind of obvious, but just, we're going to get into the scenario here down the road. But Nadab and Abehu, Aaron's sons, they, they died. So all we got left when you go back to verse one is Eleazar and Ithamar, right? So we're talking to Eleazar and Ithamar. Guys, here's the deal. I don't want you to make yourself unclean by hanging out uh, um, around dead people, okay? So then it continues on in verse three, but you may make yourself unclean for, what's it say? And, And it does say this in verse two, you can obviously make yourself unclean for your father, your mother, your son, your daughter, or your brother, Uh, But it also says you can make yourself unclean for your young, unmarried sister. You you guys have any idea why? Any thoughts of why that is an exception to the rule?
1: She wouldn't have any family. She didn't have a husband. She didn't
0: have anybody. So she's it. And so, brothers, make sure you take care of your unmarried... Take care of your little sister. I mean, that's kind of the feel and the mentality. And then it says in verse four, he's not to make himself unclean for those related to him by marriage. So, hey, if an in-law dies, you don't have to do anything. (laughs) I know it sounds kind of weird, but you all kind of chuckled. So anyway, you get the point. And and don't defile yourself by taking care of your in-laws. I love my in-laws. Let it be known. All right. All right. So in verse five, priests may not make bald spots on their heads, shave the edge of their beards, or make gashes on their bodies. What are we talking about now? Any idea, guys? I'm out. You're <laughs> <just> out. <laughs> I,
1: I got nothing. It just seems weird to me. Was this go back to? The, the
0: morning. Yeah, the morning and That's right. proper, improper morning. Don't do improper morning. Don't, don't do things that would take away uh, your perspective. It's almost like a superstitious mark of grief. So Kevin, if you would go to 1 Kings 18, verse 28. So priests, please don't, don't do things that the people would do. Don't do things that might indicate, you know, you're not so holy yourself right now. 1 Kings eighteen twenty-eight, 28. And, and here's, a, here's an example of what this could look like. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. You guys, today, I mean, in society, in our high school down the road from here, kids cut all the time. Cutting. If you want to know how kids are doing, go into high school and just look at their wrists. This is a way to mourn. This is a way that people deal with depression. This is a way people deal with anxiety. It's not of the Lord. And so what you hear is that Moses is saying, by the way, priest, I don't want you to go that way. When you see somebody, you lose somebody. I don't want you to turn to the old customs. Why? Because you're different. You're holy. You are to follow the standard that the Lord has set. And that's why he says in verse 6, they are to be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. And so if you make a bald spot on your head, if you shave the edge of your your beard or you make gashes, you're indicating your markers I'm mourning, and it's not how God says, I want you to come to me. You are to be holy to our God, to not profane the name of the God because they present the fire offerings to the Lord the food of their God. They must be holy. Scripture continues on in verse 7. If we'd go there, Leviticus 21. Okay, priests, here, here's what this is, what I want this to look like now. I want you to, if you're going to marry, I don't want you to marry a woman defiled by prostitution or divorced by her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. So according to Leviticus 21, a priest in the Old Testament faith, you can get married. You can marry a woman uh, but it cannot come from a woman who has any kind of background in prostitution. And oh, by the way, if she's been married once, not by a widow in this context yet, uh, but by being divorced, you cannot marry her. And I just—I I want to ask you guys why? 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 So, what if she's been divorced? So, what if she's been pro- uh, a prostitute? Like, what? What is that bringing to
1: the table? Any thoughts? Baggage, and she's not clean. I mean, talking. Yeah. It, talk it would bring the oneness that whoever she had slept with that's right back to to the one
0: flesh it goes
1: back to that one flesh
0: one man one woman one flesh when you pull that apart i'm telling you you bring that flesh with you you're tearing that flesh and it's coming with you and now it's going to another person which is why you always have these sexually transmitted diseases because it goes from one to the next that is not clean and so a priest is saying please don't go that direction you are to have and i love this image and we're going to get down into this in verse 13 that there's supposed to be a holy union Verse eight, it says, you're to consider him holy since he presents the food of your God. He will be holy. Remember that the bread, he he will be holy to you because I, the Lord who set you apart, am holy. I hopefully understand we're, we're getting this. Like this is a big deal. Like as a priest, if you're going to get married, you need to make sure they're coming to the table clean like you. I want to get into ministry for a second and marriage. Okay, I want to get into this whole thing with marriage. Should I get married? There's a lot of you guys that are single right now and you're like, you know, I love ministry. I'm thinking about getting married. What's the tension? I want to walk through this tension because I'm telling you, all of us that are here right now in this room that are married, we all sense, at least I should say for myself, maybe you don't, the tension of being married and walking up ministry. It's this ongoing, like, oh, I really want to press in with the, the ministry stuff. But then you're like, ah, oh, but I have a wife and kids. Or, oh, hey, I really want to pour into my wife and kids, but I have been called to the ministry. And like, this this weird tension. And Paul just addresses it. And he says, look, there's going to be issues. You should expect it. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6. That's why he says, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, just make sure you guys, before you get married, I want you to understand what you're walking into. He says, I say the following... As a concession, not as a command. So, Rich, can you just make that even more plain for me?
1: Yeah, he's like, here's a thought for you. You might want to consider this. That's right. It's not a command. Don't do it. But you might want to consider this.
0: It's just a thought. Based on my experience, Paul's saying he's single. Paul was never married. He says, not as a command. Watch in verse 7. He says, I wish that all people were just like me. (laughs) That's like one of our kids, we were, we were doing compliments about one of our other children for their birthday, right? In fact, it was Jude's birthday, but I won't tell you which one of the kids said this. And they said, you know, Jude, you know what I like about you? You're like me. And I was like, no, 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 that sounds, that sounds backwards. That sounds weird. And then they explained the situation. They, I understood what they meant. And Paul is saying, I, I wish you were like me, but each has his own gift from God. One person in this way and another in that way. Well, why does he say he wishes people were like him? Well, watch. The scripture says in verse 8, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain as I am. It is actually good if you're unmarried and widows, stay single. But if they do not have self-control, widows or single people, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Because sometimes that desire can take you out of God's will. That desire could lead to the deception, the disobedience and the death. That desire also can take you to a holy matrimony. It can take you to a godly person. Here's the tension. The tension is this, is that if you're single, okay, you don't have to focus, this is going to sound really bad, on a wife and kids. If you're doing ministry, you don't have to be consumed with like, do I need to pay for school stuff? Do I need to pay for kids' tuition? Do I need to get for, uh, for food for my, my kids? Like, I need to put, Like you're always thinking about your family, which rightfully so. But Paul says if you're single, you don't have to worry about any of this stuff. That's why he says, hey, it's a thought, but if you're thinking about getting married and do ministry, I'd say do ministry and not get married. That's exactly what he's saying. And I'll tell you, in Time Revive, how many times, you guys, do we see this in, in, in all of our lives? Staff, missionaries, it's an ongoing tension in our own lives. Like, I feel called to start traveling. Well, if I start traveling more, what do I do with my kids? What do I do with my wife? I, I have to take to and I want to take care of my kids. And so it's this ongoing tension tension. Kevin, can you go to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14? And I don't know if a whole lot of people teach on this, to be honest, but I'm telling you, it is a real tension. And so just as a backdrop, when you're thinking about getting married, okay, just make sure if you're going to go that direction that you're not matched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? In verse 15, what agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Verse 16. And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God, as God said. I will dwell among them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Look what it says. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. Verse 18. I will be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So look, if you're going to go the route of marriage and you know that still even ministry or no ministry, you do not marry a non-believer. Yeah, but I want to marry this person because I'm pretty sure they're going to come to know the Lord. You don't marry people to change them. Like that's playing with dangerous grounds. And that's where over and over the Israelites are told how many times do not blend and mix these worlds. And what I would say today is I'm not talking about like races. I'm talking about like belief. I'm talking about faith in Christ. Do not blend somebody who says, oh, I believe in Allah and I believe in Christ. That, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And so Paul says, well, instead of just dealing with any of that, just stay away from marriage and just live like me. That's really what he's saying. So I just think it's an interesting thing. Don't defile yourself. Just stay single. But if you're going to, priests, by the way, in uh, in verse eight, I want you to un- make sure you understand you are holy. You are to be holy because the Lord is holy. You've been set apart. And then it says in verse 9, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by promiscuity, she defiles her father, and then the daughter is burned. The priest's daughter, because she messed up one time, she's done. Man, that, there's, there's no room for grace there, you guys. None. And I think it keeps going back to this standard that God wants For his priests. This standard he wants for his leaders within the tabernacle. In verse 10, it says, "...the priest who is highest among his brothers, who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and has been ordained to wear the garments, must not dishevel his hair... Or tear his garments. He must not go near any dead person or make himself unclean, even for his father or mother. He must not leave the sanctuary, or he will desecrate the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. Rich, you had brought up over the break uh, a little bit about this story. You want to bring that back up in regards to what happened? You mean as far as Aaron?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So Aaron, it was, Aaron was the high priest, and so he could not defile himself when his sons were killed. And so
0: naturally you would think, why wouldn't a dad go take Nadab and Abihu? And Scripture says, because I've anointed you, you, you can't leave your post. Your calling is so high in life right now. And what I'm asking you to do, you cannot leave what I've asked you to do. So then that even goes back to proving Paul's point even more. you imagine the struggle and the tension? Whether they messed up or not, Aaron, you know, loved his kids. And he wanted to be there for his kids, but his calling, God said, you stay here, you cannot help your family. And Paul says, instead of dealing with that tension, just don't get married. And so it's this weird ongoing tension. And if you do get married, Scripture says, make sure, make sure in verse 13, Scripture just says, you you marry a woman who is a, a virgin. Why? Because there is what, what we would call over and over again a holy union that needs to take place. Let's kind of look through this. I love this image. Um, can you go, Kevin, to Ezekiel? Let's go to Ezekiel 16, verse 8. I want to walk through God's role and Israel's role and how that, that really becomes a bigger picture of really what the, the priest and a virgin wife uh, looks like, right? Okay, so it says at the very end, I pledge myself to you entered into a covenant with you. This is the Lord talking and you became mine. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Now, just at the very beginning, uh, look what he says. I passed by you. I saw you and you were indeed at the age for love. So he's talking about like there is a love connection between God and Israel. Verse 9. Scripture says, I washed you with water, rinsed off your blood, anointed you with oil, continues on in verse 10. I clothed you. I wrapped you. And it continues on in verse 11. And he's talking about his relationship. I adorned you. I put bracelets on you. put a chain around your neck in verse 12. In other words, he's establishing this relationship. I, I put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, beautiful tiara on your head in verse 13. So you were adorned with gold and silver. I gave you everything. You ate fine flour, honey. You became extremely beautiful and attained royalty. in verse 14, your, frame, your fame spread among the nations because of your beauty. For it was perfect through my splendor, which I bestowed on you, my relationship with you. I have chosen to marry you, Israel, God says. This is my declaration, and we are our perfect fit. A couple other images of this. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-two. Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-two just talks about this, uh, this matrimony that's here. It says that this one will be not like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to break them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, even though I had married them. The Lord's declaration. So the Lord had married His chosen people. There's a relationship. There's a union that's already in place. And one more, Isaiah 54, verse 5. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Indeed, your husband is your maker; his name is Yahweh of hosts, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. I, I just think, to me, this image of God and Israel, like it, it can't, it can't be broken. It is a, a, in my mind, it's a one flesh deal. They're together. A couple of illustrations, and I, I, just, I keep going back to. He says, "I'm setting you apart," which means he's not done with them. He's not going to divorce the Israelites. Kevin, if you go to Hosea 2, verse 7. Hosea 2, verse 7. It's a cool picture, right? Hosea 2, verse 7 is that they need to go back. Watch this. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will seek them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband, for then it was better for me than now. And so there's this this thought of Israelites, how many times over and over again, right? They turn away from the Lord over and over again. I I think it'd be better if I went back. That's because the Lord is constantly wooing, constantly saying, I am still here. In verse 14, I'm going to come back to something here uh, with Christ and the bride. And in verse 14 of Leviticus 21, he's not to marry a widow, a divorced woman, one defiled by prostitution. He's to marry a virgin from his own I think we've kind of already proven the point. We need this to be a pure relationship. And says on verse 15, so that he does not corrupt his bloodline, for I am Yahweh who sets him apart. I love this, this bloodline. And then, okay, so here's the deal. I've just now given you ideas, and in fact, I've actually given you commands, right, on your wife requirements. Okay? So I've given you wife requirements and I've also just said, hey, by the way, here are your standards as well. Talked a little bit about that in verses 10 through 15. And here in your wife requirements in verses 7 through 8. But now watch this. Now in verse, this is really important. Now I want to talk about defects. You remember the priest is to represent the people. We do know that eventually in Hosea that the priests end up sinning. There's some issues there. So what they're going to do is in Leviticus 21 uh, and 16 and on, really, uh, is that they're supposed to find priests that are as close as perfect as they can. Verse 17, it says, Tell Aaron, none of your descendants throughout your generations who has a physical defect is to come near to the present uh, to present the food of his God. So nobody with a physical defect can come says in verse 18, No man who has any defect is to come near. No man who is blind, lame, facially disfigured, or deformed. It's not an option. You can't be a priest. No man who has a broken foot or hand. Or one who is a hunchback or a dwarf. Or one who has an, an eye defect, a festering rash, won't go away, scabs. Or yes, if you have a crushed testicle, you cannot be a priest. Does anybody else find that really intriguing? (laughs) Must have been a problem. Must have been a problem. Verse 21 of Leviticus 21. Oh, by the way, no descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has a defect, is to come near to present the fire offerings to the Lord. He has a defect and is not to come near to the present to present the food of his God. Are you seeing a, a weird theme here? People that have defects are not allowed to represent the Lord. Scripture says in verse 22, uh, and this builds off of what we just said, he may eat the food of his God from what is especially holy as well as what is from holy. Verse 23, but because he has a defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar. He is not to desecrate my sanctuaries, for I am the Lord who sets them apart. Now, these the sanctuaries, it's talking about two places. One is the holy place where the altar of incense stood. And the other one is, is that, that the most holy place, right, where the Ark of the Covenant rested. You can't come near my presence, the dwelling of the Lord, the presence of God, if you have a defect. Did that mean that they could do stuff out in the courtyard then? I would say so. I would say they can come to the courtyard, but they are not qualified to come into his presence. They can present this to the priest, and then the priest will do
1: this on behalf of them, but they're not qualified. I, w- I would say, would you guys say otherwise? I mean a little bit I would I would tend to think that they could perform some of the duties inside the tabernacle I mean cuz if you think about th- this there's too many million, million people they have to serve Whether they're coming with
0: mm-hmm. food
1: sacrifices or they're coming with some sort of skin rash or disease themselves they're going to need help to actually how to identify these people and what is their issue and how do I serve them. Albeit, it's a little weird if you're have, if you a priest and you have one of these defects and you have a guy who's coming with a defect. You're like, well, you're unclean. You have to go outside the camp. Well, why, why are you inside the tent? <laughs> I just, it's a little confusing to me and a little bit weird, but I think they would have to serve in some capacity. But the only thing I'll say is the scripture does say they can't go near the
0: curtain, they can't approach the altar, and they can't desecrate my sanctuaries. The sanctuaries here imply... The tabernacle. So, I don't know. I think the Lord's trying to make a distinction. I don't know. I can't say that 100%. But I think this is an interesting process. And I kind of want to walk through this a little bit here. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus, who was his audience? Luke 14, verse 21. If you have a person that has a defect, like what if you have, I don't know, a really funny looking mole? Does that count? Like, how do we qualify? Is this it right here? Are these the defects? Is this it? All I know is that Jesus, he hung out with the people that had the defects. He hung out with the people that looked funny. Luke fourteen twenty one. So the slave came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his slave, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Jesus intentionally went after these people. And in fact, to even prove this point even more, Matthew 4, verse 23. So there you have the, the tabernacle, okay? You have this tabernacle, you have the courtyard that's out here. You have the priests that are functioning inside the Holy of Holies, inside, uh, right near the veil. And nobody of the defect can come in, only, only the priests that have been ordained. And so what I hear now is that Jesus is going, in my mind, He's going to the courtyard, He's going to the cities, and He's finding the defects that can't come to Him says, so Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In verse 24, then the news about him spread about throughout all Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. And finally, in verse 25, large crowds followed him from Galilee, to Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. I don't know, guys. I hear this, and I think sometimes the American church is still in the old old Testament tabernacle mindset. I think we have this mindset of only leaders can function this way. You have a defect. I'm sorry. Or, oh, no, you're not you're not qualified. You, you can't fit into this category. And so we don't ever allow people to enter into his presence. And Jesus was the complete opposite. That's why it blows my mind. The American church should be exploding with people coming to know the Lord every single day. Scripture says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. But what we think is that the harvest is literally going to jump into the tabernacle. That the harvest is literally going to jump into our church building. But yet when they jump in, if it doesn't make sense, let's just kick them out. And Jesus did the opposite. The priest didn't wait. He went to them. I think it's crazy to me how God can use anybody in our weakness. And it all became because, I mean, really, Jesus was the perfect priest. Kevin, can you go to Hebrews 7, verse 26? Hebrews 7, 26 allows us to come to him. It says, for well, this is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the, he- the heavens. But now here's what's cool. OK, here, here's a cool image to me. So here you have the perfect priest. But now watch. He becomes the perfect victim. Kevin, can you go to Hebrews 9 verse 14? And this is how he can connect with us. How much more? OK, watch this unfold. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciousnesses from dead works to serve the living God. So the perfect high priest offered himself without blemish. He says, I'm, I'll, I'll do it. I will be the veil that will be torn. So now you can come and I can come to you. Like there's no more blockage. There's no more defects. He doesn't see it like that at all. In 1 Peter 1 verse 19. I believe all he sees is the blood. First Peter one verse nineteen. Scripture just says with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. First uh gonna go to two verse um twenty-two. First Peter two verse twenty two. So here you have the blood, okay without defect and then look what it says he didn't commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth yet despite him being perfect he could have stayed right here right you know that right he could have stayed inside the tabernacle it's safe it's clean let the defective people stay out he did the opposite as a victim he gave up his life and he came out to those that, that desperately needed him i think it's an awesome picture of how the change from the Old Testament to now the New Testament. You don't need a tabernacle to walk in. Scripture says in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, while we have a defect of pride, while we have a defect of lust, while we have a defect of impatience, while we have a defect of... You label, you label the defect. It doesn't matter. God proves His own love for us that while we're still dealing with these defects, still dealing with these sins... I'm not talking about physical things, you guys, right now. Okay, I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about actual sin. Christ died for us. The high priest has now come to us. No more. No more stuff getting in the way of us having access to the Father. All right, you guys, that's Leviticus 21. The standards of a priest are never met until the great high priest comes to life. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow with more of Leviticus. Thanks.